Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Episode 206, another very joyous episode of the For the Love of the Game show on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your basketball betting this postseason. Get analysis of every play, prop, and point at Bet Online. You'll find the latest odds, game trends, matchup trends, all that good stuff at Bet Online. Not just basketball, NHL playoffs, MLB, you got golf. Tennis coming up. You can find all that good stuff at Bet Online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device. Sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code BLEAV. That's B L E A V to get 50% on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts with that said episode 206 for the love of the game. Let's get this work. I got a hundred guns, a hundred clips. I'm from New York, New York. I got a semi-automatic that spits next time if you talk, you talk. I got a hundred guns, a hundred clips. I'm from New York, New York. I got a semi-automatic that spits next time if you talk, you talk. And I know y'all niggas is Banani, Banani, your monologues getting tired. Now it's time to ride and print this. You five, you no longer desire to take off them silly chains. Put back on your wire. I'm on fire. Holly dipped in octane. Episode 206 for the love of the game on the Bleed Podcast Network with yours truly. It's ATH Aaron Tobin as back in the saddle, back behind the mic. And you know what the hell it is. You know what the vibe is. Hit the goddamn music. We are the New York Knicks. 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 Say go New York, go New York, go. That's right. We're coming to you Sunday evening, and the New York Knicks are now up three games to one in their best of seven first round series against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Winning 102-93 today at MSG. What a win today. And what a win Friday night. Friday night's game did not start very pretty. I mean, that was an absolute rock fight of a game. Disgusting. Neither team could score except for one man could score in the first quarter. And I have to give him his props. It's a guy I've dumped on a lot. He's still the bane of my existence. But that is none other than R.J. Barrett. R.J. Barrett in Game 3 after he was absolutely dreadful in Game 2 in Cleveland. He was dreadful in Game 1, but the Knicks won anyway. Dreadful in Game 2 when the Knicks got absolutely trounced. Didn't even show up. He comes out when no one else could throw the ball in the ocean. R.J. Barrett scored 12 early points for the Knicks. Then Jalen Brunson... At the end of the second quarter, third quarter, took it home for the Knicks, and the Knicks cruised to a 20-point win, 99-79. I mean, Cleveland was absolutely brutal. And then that brings us to today. Would R.J. Barrett still have it going? And I am happy to report that in today's game, R.J. Barrett was 
the best player on the floor. He was the Knicks' best player all game. I know Jalen Brunson may have gone for 30. I know he shot 50% from the field. If you watch the game, R.J. Barrett was the Knicks' best player. R.J. got off to a great start early. Instead of holding the ball, everything was a quick decision. He'd catch the ball and he would go. There was no holding the ball. There was no dribbling, going backwards. Everything was forwards. It was just beautiful to watch. Beautiful to watch. And Jalen Brunson, as great as he has been for the Knicks, and he was sensational Friday night, and he was very good today. But there was a moment. The Knicks were up 15 points. They were only up nine going into halftime. So the Knicks did not close the half very well. And then they come out, and Cleveland, specifically Darius Garland, starts hitting the Knicks in the mouth, hitting them in the face. They even take the lead. Jalen Brunson was getting absolutely roasted on the defensive end. Roasted. After game two, where Karis LeVert went off, again, because they were trying to hide Jalen Brunson on Karis LeVert, and again, I'm not really dumping on Jalen Brunson, but this is the facts, right? This is what happened. The Knicks made an adjustment. They're like, JB, you got to take Garland at the point of attack because Garland was sensational in game two. And so was Karis LeVert. Not so much in game three. So the Knicks continued with Jalen Brunson on Darius Garland. And Garland came out in that third quarter today and absolutely tore the Knicks apart was carving up Jalen Brunson like a Thanksgiving turkey. Brunson had a stretch where he got beat three straight times and then shot the ball three straight times. He went one for three in those possessions. I'm sorry. I know Jalen Brunson is an excellent isolation player and an excellent one-on-one player, one of the best in the league by points per possession in the isolation. But if you're a point guard and you're getting roasted on defense, you can't be shooting the ball three straight possessions. Shout out to my guy, Benji Ritholtz on Twitter, who actually noticed it. It's like, maybe it's time to bring in IQ off the bench, who, by the way, was plus 11 and didn't even score, just to goes to show you how well he played defensively today. Excellent. He was excellent when they brought him in the game, even though he didn't score. Will the Knicks need his scoring going forward? Yes, desperately, but today... He still had a major positive impact on the game. But anyway, the Knicks get down, and it looks like it's teetering a little bit. It looks like it's teetering, and R.J. Barrett had two of the biggest offensive possessions for the Knicks today. It started out, they were tied. He gets an and-one layup. Knicks go up by three. Then he hits a baseline fadeaway, like a fling. I don't even know. He's never hit that shot in his life. And it went in, Knicks were up by five. And at that point, it was just like, okay, the Knicks can exhale a little bit because they took Cleveland's best punch. And they rode out the game a nice 102-93 win. Now, Jalen Brunson made a lot of big shots, a lot of big shots. And maybe I'm being hard on him because sometimes I do think he has a little bit of tunnel vision. And as a point guard, I think it's important for him to pick his spots a little bit better. I know in game two, there was desperation because the Knicks couldn't throw it in the ocean. So he felt like he could get his. Fine, throw that one away. But 
I, I do think Brunson needs to find a bit of a balance in terms of getting his own and getting others involved. But he made a lot of big shots today too. But R.J. Barrett, make no mistake about it, was the Knicks' best player from start to finish tonight. But he wasn't the only guy who was great. I mentioned Brunson, who was very good. The center position for the New York Knicks today, Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hartenstein, were absolutely incredible. They beat the crap out of Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. I mean, Evan Mobley, you might as well put his face on a fucking milk carton because he's been MIA the last two games. He wants no part of this smoke. None. I said it after last episode. Anybody who's calling him the second coming of Kevin Garnett, like, let's simmer this down now real fast. Real fast. He's not that dude. Not even close. He's been on a fucking milk carton. All right? The Knicks front court specifically Hartenstein and Mitchell Robinson, were excellent today. And in a game where Julius Randle was largely trash, largely garbage, shout out to Tom Thibodeau for doing something he hasn't done all year. He held Julius Randle accountable. He didn't play him the entire fourth quarter. And the Knicks were playing well. And Obi Toppin, who may have only scored five points, but had a tremendous amount of energy on both sides of the ball, rebounding, defense, made a, a long three, which was a momentum shot. Let him ride out the rest of the game. It was beautiful. It was a thing of beauty. Holding Randall accountable. Just what a win. An absolutely monster win for the New York Knicks to take both games at home and go up three games to one. And my guy, Donovan Mitchell, I've been singing his praises for a while. I said he should be in a Nick uniform. Well, he did not have it going today. Just absolutely brutal. 11 points, four for 18, something like that. Just didn't have it going. Knicks took care of business, took care of their home court. Now they're up three games to one. I cannot believe we're here. I can't believe we're here, especially the vibe after game two, after getting spanked the way they did. And yeah, after the first two games, in a vacuum, you would say the Knicks got a split. That's what we're going for, going into game three. We got one on their home court. Now we take care of our home court. We hold serve, and we're in the driver's seat. But after game two, and the way that went down and how dejected we all felt, Knicks fans, after they got stomped. For them to do some serious stomping in Game 3 and come out today at a 1 p.m. start on a Sunday afternoon and do some stomping in Game 4 was awesome. I've been singing his praises. Josh Hart, what else can you say? What else can you say? Did he force the issue sometimes going to the basket today? Sure. But when it was nut-crunching time in the fourth quarter, he grabbed every single big offensive rebound. One of them, which he kicked out to Brunson for three, which basically iced the game. What else can you say about Josh Hart? The love affair between Knicks fans and Josh Hart is at an all-time high. We are hot and heavy, people. We are hot and heavy in love with Josh Hart. With good reason. 
good reason. And there's some faction of Nick fans who were so infatuated with Cam Reddish. I never understood it. And they were bugging out for the Josh Hart trade. Well, it's time to eat crow. I mean, it was time a long time ago, but what else can you say about Josh Hart? I mentioned Mitchell Robinson. I mentioned Isaiah Hartenstein. I mentioned Emmanuel Quickly's defense. I mentioned Obi Toppin. Just an absolutely awesome win for the Knicks. And shout out to my guy Deuce McBride, who again, when it looked like Mitchell may get it going a little bit, he comes in the second quarter for a short stint, and I actually thought he should have played longer. But for a short stint, absolutely swallowed up Donovan Mitchell defensively, hit a big three. Again, I don't know why they couldn't find him more minutes in the second half, but it's hard to fault Tibbs' rotations today. He did the unthinkable again. He did the unthinkable of sitting Julius Randle when Julius Randle was garbage and rode the hot hands in the fourth quarter. It was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. And now the Knicks are on the precipice for winning a playoff series for the first time since 2013. Ten years. Ten long years. The vibes are high right now. The vibes are absolutely high. At an all-time high right now. And the videos post-game of the crowds outside Madison Square Garden going crazy. They've been all over Twitter. And I'll just say this, all right? I'll just say this. The Knicks do not have the most storied history when it comes to winning championships. They only have two titles in their history. But if you're not from New York and you don't root for the Knicks, you will never understand. You will never understand the deep bond that is between this team and its city. You won't understand. You don't get it. Outsiders will never understand why those videos are so awesome. They'll look at a team that is winning first round games and they'll say, look at this team. You know, look at these fans overreacting for first round wins. Who does this every first round? You don't get it. You don't get it. You don't understand the mix of joy, of pain, of suffering. Generations of fans who are as loyal as any fan base in sports, you won't understand. You'll never understand. Nick fans can be toxic. We can be self-loathing. We can hate our own teams. But New York Nick fans are the best fans in all of sports. You listen to the crowds in Madison Square Garden, whether it was Friday night or today, you listen to Clyde Frazier talk about how he gets goosebumps. This is a man who is responsible for the two titles in the team's history, getting goosebumps listening to the crowd in a first-round series. Non-New Yorkers won't understand. You won't understand. You don't get it. You absolutely won't get it. I, I cannot believe 
the Knicks are here. I've been a skeptic all year. I won't even try to say otherwise. But I'm having a hell of a lot of fun right now. A hell of a lot of fun. And all I can say is I know that there have been scenarios being brought out on Twitter about the Knicks' path. If they win this series, certain things break a certain way, how far the Knicks go. I don't want to hear any of that, all right? Save that energy for later. One step at a time. But let's take care of business. I'm at the point that if somehow the Knicks pulled a Doc Rivers and blew a 3-1 lead, I would be devastated. Absolutely devastated. All the good vibes that are going on right now would be out the window and then some. But I don't think it's going to happen. I don't. And shout out to Tibbs. I'm not his biggest fan. I'll never admit that I'm his biggest fan. But he has them playing hard, man. They play hard. They play with effort. They represent everything that New Yorkers love about basketball. What more can you say? Let's take care of business and be on to the next round. A couple of other games that happened today. And by the way, shout out to the Rangers after taking two in New Jersey and absolutely demolishing the Devils, just a tough loss in overtime. I kind of had a feeling that after it looked way too easy in New Jersey, that it was not going to be that easy. A brutal loss in overtime, just, just a tough loss. But I, I think the Rangers rebound in game four and take a 3-1 lead going in to New Jersey, and I, I ultimately think the Rangers close it out in six. A couple of other points from today's game. So game four, Sacramento Kings, Golden State Warriors in Golden State, 126-125, Golden State wins. Just an awesome game. This series has been so much fun. A couple of big takeaways from this game. One, you now saw the reason why the Warriors put up with Draymond Green. At the end of the game, within the last four minutes, he made about four or five monster defensive plays. Monster defensive plays. And that is why the Warriors put up with Draymond Green. That's point number one. Point number two is the Kings, their youth showed today. They did absolutely everything possible for about a four to six possession stretch to throw away the game, whether it was turnovers, some caused by Draymond Green, DeMontis Sabonis getting blocked at the rim, whether it was Malik Monk forcing shots, their youth was on display today. And it's a shame because they really had the Warriors on the ropes. And it looked like they were going to be able to complete the comeback. But one team showed why it's been there before and showed that poise and experience matters, and one team did not have that experience, and the Kings' lack of experience showed up today. And the third thing, lastly, is that De'Aaron Fox is an absolute superstar. An absolute superstar. Even when the Kings were vomiting down their legs at the end of the game, as I just mentioned, De'Aaron Fox did everything in his power to keep it within striking distance, culminating with the pull-up jump shot he hit with 27 seconds left, down three after Steph Curry had the phantom 
timeout call, which resulted in a technical foul. Four-point game became a three-point game. Fox hits the jumper. And then after Curry's miss, they get a rebound. Fox has one last possession to try and win the game. It ended up with Harrison Barnes shooting a three at the buzzer. Miss. Golden State wins, and the series is tied to. De'Aaron Fox was absolutely sensational down the stretch. And now we're at the point where, if you're watching Fox all year, I I ask you this question. If you're starting a team from scratch tomorrow, how many point guards are getting taken before De'Aaron Fox in a draft? Steph Curry for sure. After that, you can make a case that De'Aaron Fox is the next best guy at that position. Dame Willard, maybe I'll accept the argument. At this point, I think Fox is more polished than John Morant. Luka's a little bit of a different breed, but really, that that just goes to show you how awesome Fox is. And right now, he's, he's about a top 10, 11 player in the league. Just incredible. Absolutely incredible. But wasn't enough today. 126-125 Golden State, an absolutely awesome series. I hope that series goes seven, and I can't wait to watch the end of it. The Celtics in game four after losing game three take care of business against the Hawks, 129-121. The Hawks have no business being in this series. It, this is a snooze fest. We don't really have to talk about it much. And at the time of the recording, right now it's down the wire. Um 96-95, Minnesota, Denver is up three games to zero in this series, but this game has been back and forth. It looked like Minnesota was going to put the game away. Denver has now clawed all the way back. My biggest takeaway here is that Denver's just a lot better. Denver's played really well in this series. Minnesota's a mess, but Anthony Edwards is awesome. So shout out to him, but yeah. Those were uh, some results from today's game. With that said, we're going to bring on a first-time guest, a new member of the Bleed Podcast family to talk a little Knicks basketball, somebody who I hope to be collaborating with going forward a lot. We'll talk to him in just a matter of moments. So I teased it in the monologue. I have the pleasure of welcoming on a first-time guest, a special first-time guest, somebody who has just joined the Believe Podcast member, so I, I am lucky to call him a colleague. It's somebody I've seen on Twitter a couple of times. Uh, it's Ashwin, a.k.a. Schwinny Poo, from the Strickland Podcast. How we doing, buddy? Uh, I, you know, couldn't be better. Uh, you know, 4-0 sweep maybe. That's probably the only way, but 3-1 uh, after a weekend uh, back-to-back set of victories. I'll take it. I'm a happy camper. Excellent, excellent. And welcome to uh, the network. We're happy to have you. So, Obviously, I'm always looking for new people to and new guests to talk Knicks with. They are um, the bane of my existence. (laughs) I I call them having a a terminal illness with no cure. But right now, we are in happy times. So they're up 3-1. They're on the brink of winning their first playoff series in 10 years. So... I want to take it back to after game two, right? Game two was an absolute disaster. They, it was a beat down. But if you looked at a glass half full, you would have said, well, they went into Cleveland, got one, and now we're back to MSG for two, which they ended up taking both. So how are you feeling after game two uh, going into games three and four? And, and just describe your feelings now. 
Um, I mean, after game two, I was, you know, obviously you're not happy after a loss like that, but I didn't think that the, um, I didn't think the adjustments that they would have to make were that difficult. I think they had the personnel for it. They just had a really bad game handling blitzes, handling traps. Uh, they've shown all season that they can beat those defenses. They actually got a lot better at it the second half of the year. So I wasn't too, I like I was upset in the moment about losing the game, but I wasn't super concerned about whether, you know, they could go on to win the series. I thought they always had that chance. Um, and yeah, it was just like a really bad game from everybody. Um, so I, I just, I think sometimes that just happens, but yeah, like we had a split and going into the series, if you told me we had split the first two games on the road, I would have been happy as hell. I'd been like, yeah, I'll take that. Um, so I, I really wasn't that concerned. I was more concerned about how Tibbs would, um, you know, lineup changes and that kind of stuff. But, you know, again, I, I really didn't think that it was a big deal in terms of, I, I didn't feel like, oh my God, this game, they got destroyed and now we're seeing Cleveland has this overwhelming talent advantage or whatever. Like, I, I didn't feel that way. Um, they only scored 107 points in that game. I think they had something like 32 points off turnovers in that game. So they were yeah. still pretty awful in the half court. And we were not a high turnover team at all this year. We were not a high turnover team when we had played Cleveland throughout the year. So I just thought it was a weird game. And um, sometimes that happens and not to overreact to it. And um, so far, uh, that's how it's played out. So yeah, feel I, I, I can't say like, a, you know, I, I wouldn't, I would be lying if I said I was 100% confident the Knicks would win both games in New York, but um, I did feel good about their chances even after game two. The thing about game two that you touched on was the turnovers, right? That's the one thing that Brunson doesn't turn the ball over a lot, right? Quickly, for as dynamic as he can be, also doesn't turn the ball over a lot. So just to see that was so uncharacteristic. And yeah, the shooting was bad. Uh, the shooting was bad to start the game in game three, but it was it was uncharacteristically a turnover game, and it, and it wasn't something that like you thought. It's not that Cleveland like really solved things. Like it seemed like that they were like really self inflicted wounds, and it wasn't like Mobley went crazy, right? I mean, Donovan Mitchell was not great in game two. I mean, he he was spreading the ball around. the The assist numbers were high, thirteen assists. Garland had a great game, um, and and you saw that. You know, when Garland's aggressive, that sometimes it, it just looks a little different when Mitchell's aggressive. You know, the ball pops around a little bit more. There's more player movement. But game two seemed like it was just one of those horrific shooting nights on the road, and it was self-inflicted wounds. And if, if you know, the Knicks were going to go back home, like, and if they weren't going to do those things, like, it was going to be okay, right? Like, it was going to be okay. It wasn't like a doomsday scenario. Now, I admittedly thought Cleveland was going to win this series in seven games. I, you know, before the series started, I, I thought that Cleveland potentially could have had the two best players in the series. And one thing is for certain, that has not been the case. Because since game one with Donovan Mitchell's explosion, he hasn't shot the ball particularly well. I mean, Garland's been up and down, but... The biggest takeaways for me from the weekend is that Brunson, for the most part, has been the best player in the series. There were some things I didn't like about his Game 4 performance, but we'll get to him in a little bit. I think, you know, Knicks fans are 
are overreacting a little bit because we're just so starved, especially for point guard play and for any really type of success. But, you know, Brunson's been the best player in the series. And but the but to me, even more than that from the weekend was and I was, you know, an R.J. Barrett. I don't want to say hater. But, like, I never bought the hype that Knicks fans were telling me, like, he was the second coming of Jimmy Butler. He was fantastic in games three and four. And he was fantastic when they needed him most. In game three, he was basically the only one who could score in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. And he paced them there. And he in game four, he started out aggressive. Everything was a quick decision going to the basket. There was no of this backpedaling, holding the ball. Everything was a quick decision. And when things started getting a little weird in the third quarter, you know, they were up 15 points. They closed the half only up nine. All of a sudden, it's a tie game. They're even down two. He has the and one layup when they were tied to Mm -hmm. put them up three and then hit that baseline jump shot fading away, put them up five in back-to-back possessions. And it kind of like took the air out of the sails of Cleveland. R.J. Barrett was the Knicks' best player in game four. Um, Yeah, I thought R.J. was... Great um, in game four. I think, honestly, I think game three and game four are probably his two best performances of his career, considering the stage and the stakes. Um, and honestly, considering how he started the series and how his season has gone this year, which wasn't great. Um, so for him to bounce back the way he has, really just in the nick of time, and especially um, at a time when Julius has been awful, really offensively, um, it's, it's huge. And um, he deserves all the credit and plaudits that he's getting today. Um, he, he delivered and um, that's, that's the biggest thing you could say. Um, yeah. I mean uh, the Brunson thing, like at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I, I talked about this with a few people before the series started, but um, I personally don't feel that there's a significant gap at all between him and Donovan Mitchell and um, watching this series. I just, you know, I, I feel like that's becoming, or that is evident to me anyways. Uh, I think Brunson's a much more polished mid-range scorer. I think he's got a lot more versatility in how he can score. Mitchell, obviously, super explosive. He has nights where he can just go absolutely, totally nuclear, um, given his range and just how dynamic he can be off the bounce. But, um, you know, these two games he had in New York were, I would say, nothing short of a disaster. Uh, just... Well, game four was a real disaster. He was oh, actually terrible. the only guy who really kind of showed up for them in game three. Yeah, I mean, he he scored well, but my thing with him is like, and this is why I just didn't understand why I didn't really want the Knicks to trade for him, especially at the price that Utah was obviously asking for. Really? Okay. I was, I was actually about to ask you that question because it, it oddly relates to R.J. Barrett, right? Because, yeah. you know, this series has so much symmetry um, and so many storylines in terms of what could have been. And for me, you know, somebody who was on the trade for Mitchell Camp, especially trade R.J. Barrett, uh, what what should have been. And now it it's kind of nice for R.J. To, sh- to show up in this way. But, like, I know where I was before the season started, right? I was, I was pretty down on R.J. I, I just don't think he has – in elite skill mm-hmm. in the NBA, like especially offensively. Like I- I'll give this to him. You know, he plays hard. Um, I don't always think he plays smart, but, and I was all in favor of, cause I just don't think the ceiling's there. And if you can get a guy like Donovan Mitchell, who's going to make 
first or second team all NBA this year, 26 years old, you know, going into this postseason was one of the, you know, top six or seven points per game averages in the postseason, you know, uh, was top five in fourth quarter scoring the last five years. I was like, go get that guy. And you saw what happened in the regular season with him and Garland, you know, and how they were able to, to fit. But, you know, right now he's being outplayed terribly um, by Brunson and definitely the last two nights by Barrett. You were on the camp of don't trade R.J. Barrett and the picks for Mitchell before the season started? Yeah, I didn't really want to do that. Um, just given I, – I think if you're going to make a trade like that, the guy that you're trading for needs to be a MVP caliber type of dude because once you make a trade like that – that's basically your team. That's the situation Cleveland's in. Like, this is their team. They don't really have a lot of flexibility with what they can do in the trade market. They are limited with the draft picks available to them. I think there are, they were already out the 2023 pick because of the Karis LeVert trade. Right. Um, so they, they're pretty locked into the score, and that's not a bad thing. But what you're seeing in the Assuming series, you're going to get growth from their internal yeah. guys that are young, like, yeah. you know, Garland's yeah. get better, Mobley will we'll get, you know... We'll probably talk about him a little bit later and, and the struggles that he's had, but yeah, but you, I, I see what you're saying, right? Yeah, you expect those guys to get better, but it might not happen right this year. And in the meantime, um, your depth is just bad. It's not good. And I think that's honestly the biggest difference in this series is on top of Brunson outplaying uh, Donovan Mitchell, which should which was a matchup that Cleveland obviously needed for that to be a win in their favor. A significant um, win. Yeah, on top of that, you're seeing... Like, like, you know, last night, I think the bench only, the Knicks bench only combined for nine points. But if you actually watched that game, like their defensive effectiveness was off the charts. Like, I think quickly only played 16 minutes and his, he didn't make a shot. His defense was, was honestly, a plus 11. Yeah. His defense was ridiculous. In the third quarter, when he came in, Garland was on fire and he came in and that ended right then. Um, yeah. Hartenstein was absolutely amazing yesterday. He had maybe the play of the game where he stuffed Socorro at the rim. Um, you know, obviously Deuce McBride, he only played five minutes. His five minute cameo in the first half was actually meaningful. And he really gave, uh, Donovan Mitchell a problem when he came in. Um, it looked then, like Mitchell was maybe going to be able to get it yeah. going a little bit. Deuce was unleashed like a pit bull yeah. and basically just said to hell with that. I mean, I yeah. am actually shocked. He didn't get more minutes in the second half. Yeah. I mean, I think Tibbs, like, look, he's, he likes Deuce, but it takes him some time to really trust some of these guys. I think Deuce is probably a year away from being really considered, you know, part of a steady part of the rotation. But it's nice to have that guy sitting there on the bench and be able to throw him at Donovan Mitchell, the key to obviously stopping any elite scorers, giving them different looks. Um, and then obviously Obi Toppin was fantastic yesterday. He closed the game. He he had eight rebounds, I think, in 20 minutes, five of them offensive. Uh, he was everywhere. He was flying around. He hit a three in the first half. He's it makes a maybe one of the plays of the game where he gets the offensive rebound, circles around, and then blows by Donovan Mitchell and finishes at the rim over Jared Allen. Like you're getting all these contributions from these guys, and then obviously R.J. Barrett steps up. Jalen Brunson does his thing. Josh Hart does you know what Josh Hart things like, and so and then Mitchell Robinson. I mean, he's been the best big in the series, and like that's kind of. Just it's funny where you say that because you can make the argument that he hasn't even been the best big on the Knicks. You could, yeah. Hardenstein's been great. Yeah, they've both been fantastic. And I just, like, this is kind of why, like, I think Cleveland was right to make the Donovan Mitchell trade because when you're in a market like that, as it is, 
it's hard to get to attract stars to come to you. Um, and I like their, I like Garland. I like Mobley. I like Allen. I think they're all good players. I just think people jumped the gun a little bit on like, oh, they've got four all-stars. Like one, Jared Allen made an all-star game as an injury replacement. Like I like him. He's a good player, but we don't need to act like he's, you know, Embiid right. or something. He's not a perennial all-star right. type dude. And I think, I think Evan Mobley is going to be a hell of a player. I think he's going to get there. I think he's going to be probably a hall of fame player. I think that's like really his ceiling. Oh, can we slow down a little bit? Well, that's my point is like, I, right. I think that I think that, but like, I also know that he's not that guy right now. Right. So uh, I think I, I just thought a lot of the conversation entering into the series and about the Cavs throughout the year kind of like was projecting Mobley as what we think he'll become versus what he is now. And when I just like, I, I thought, Basically, like, you know, once the Knicks got their shit together um, when they made the rotation changes in early December, like as the season progressed, I mean, I really felt that Cleveland was the matchup I wanted the most. I thought we matched up really well against them because their depth is atrocious. And the Josh Hart trade took that to another level. And like now you see all these versatile pieces you have, like they're blitzing you know, Brunson to get the ball of his hands. And all of a sudden you've got Josh Hart being able to attack four on three, RJ Barrett being able to attack four on three, Isaiah Hartenstein making plays. Like you've got all of these things going on and then they can't control the glass because they're scrambling around after they've blitzed and the Knicks killed them on the boards. I think yesterday on plays where they trapped Brunson, I think the Knicks had like a 67 per, uh, offensive rebound percentage on those possessions. So yeah. like that, that's just, uh, you're, you're, you're like to me. And I, I know this is, Sounds a little bit crazy, and we'll see. Obviously, I would. I still think like the Cavs. Donovan Mitchell is such an explosive scorer. Like, you're. It's not over until it's over. Um, but like watching these games and watching the series as it goes on, it actually feels like the reverse of the Knicks series against the Hawks in 2021. Yes, it feels. Yes. Like, it feels very much like that. And like as the like, and and I think what's really interesting about this series is one Randall hasn't even played well, and the Knicks. I, I, like yesterday, they've only won by nine points. They dominated that game basically, except for the start of the third quarter when Garland went off. They missed so many free throws, which they talked about constantly on the broadcast. Um, I thought they had a really poor stretch to end the first half. Josh Hart, in particular, where he seemed more interested in trying to draw the fouls yeah, than, than, than be a little polished. He forced the couple, yeah. especially he, yeah, you know, pushing it himself, yeah. going to the basket. Yeah, yeah, couple. yeah. And so I thought they blew a little bit of stretch there, and, but like really for long stretches of the game, the Knicks just looked. They looked better. They looked more talented. They looked more organized. They looked like they had more answers than Cleveland had for anything. And, you know, look, is Donovan Mitchell going to shoot like that again from the field? Probably not. But, like, I think I, what you what I see, you know, when I see this stuff is, like, if Garland and Mitchell don't have good games, they can't win. They can't win those games. The Knicks are winning basketball games. Like, again, I don't, I don't want to belabor this point, but would Julius Randle effectively – doing nothing. I mean, he he was beyond terrible yesterday. He may, might as well have been non-existent. And they won that game pretty comfortably in the end. And like even game three, he didn't have a good game and they won by 20 points. And it's like... He, he hasn't had a good game no. at all. At no. all. You no, mean, and he, he had that... He had the hot first quarter in game one and he had the big offensive rebound in game one. And other than that, he's been invincible. Uh, it's at, you, you talk about the Knicks' depth and the Cavs' lack thereof. Um... And again, you know, I, I also believe that like all NBA guys, 25 years old, don't grow on trees, right? That's why the, you know, you go out and trade for them. 
And yes, the Rudy Gobert trade set a, a yeah. market precedent that was so over the top ridiculous that I think everybody now is seeing the effects of that. I think Cleveland's seeing the effects of that. I think Phoenix is seeing the effects of that right now after. Yeah, I mean, Phoenix, they've got, they've got Durant and Booker playing 40 plus minutes 44, a night. 45 yeah. minutes a game, which is crazy, especially Durant's coming off major injuries. And, but, and no and, Paul George and no Kawhi, and you're yeah. still having to push it. It's, it's wild to me watching that. And, uh, but yeah, but the Knicks, it's funny, like, I made the whole point, like, the Knicks were a prime candidate for a consolidation trade, right? Because they had all these guys, right? Because, you know, they have a guy like Deuce McBride, who I'm high on, who can't seem to get minutes, right? So even if you have to give up an extra piece or an extra pick, like, do it because they are deep, right? You know, Grimes didn't even play yesterday, and and he's been in a little bit of a shooting slump, and I think he's rushing and is one of the, you know, bigger concerns that I have with the Knicks. But that was why I was pushing for the trade, because I just thought R.J. Barrett's ceiling is never going to be at Donovan Mitchell's ceiling or where Mm -hmm. Donovan Mitchell is. And I was just like, you might as well just cash in some chips now and, and then see where the roster is. But obviously they didn't do it. You know, you can't cry over well, spilled milk. Yeah, I mean, my, my thing was, uh, and I, what I, why I didn't want to make that trade is, I, I'm like, I'm super high on quickly. I actually thought RJ, I Me thought too, RJ, yeah, I, I thought RJ closed the season last year well under pretty adverse circumstances because Tibbs coached a horrible season last year. Randall was terrible last year. Yes. Um, they were like, I don't know why he did this entire thing where he was starting Alec Brooks, a point guard, the entire season. Drove like, me I, crazy. It drove yeah. me absolutely crazy. To me, that was a fireable offense. Yeah, that was, that was wild. Offense. Yeah, I, I thought so too. And um, I just thought cons- all those things considered and, you know, all that stuff, he's obviously was taking on way too much usage for what his skill set, given what he had at his disposal, you know, in terms of like shot creation, I just thought he was getting extended, but I, I was impressed with like how he closed last season. And then obviously then you're talking about trading him trading quickly. And then they wanted Grimes too, who I like, yeah. and I was pretty high on. And then all your picks, like, I, I'm just like, look, if I'm going to do that trade, I need it to be somebody who I am like a hundred percent certain can be a, the best player on a title team. And I think Donovan Mitchell is a really fantastic offensive player. I don't think he's that caliber of a player. And that's not even like a knock on him. There's right. how many of those guys even exist? Five, Maybe six, seven. Maybe four or five. Yeah. So, like, I, I was just not with that trade. And um, my the other part of it, too, is, like, I was really strongly of the belief that, like, last year the Knicks finished 37 and 45. They had the point differential of a 41-win team. So they underperformed the point differential, which in large part I attributed to, you know, just bad coaching from Tibbs. And so to me, I'm like, you're selling low on pieces. And you didn't even get a sample really on quickly as a starting point guard because Tibbs was so stubborn. I was like, you're trading guys with such incomplete information like you're risking a lot here that could really blow up in your face. Right. And so to me, I was like, I'm not really interested in making any of these type of trades until we get a coach or Tibbs himself puts these guys in positions to really show what they can or can't do. And to Tibbs's credit this year, he has been, I think personally much better than he was even in 2020, 2021, definitely certainly better than he was last year. And um, he's a, like, some of the stuff that he's adjusted with is not stuff that he'd been doing before. I mean, for two years, we every time we'd play Miami, you know, they they are they play in a super aggressive pick and roll coverage. And it was like 
you're just watching it. You're like, why are you running one five pick and roll? Mitch can't do anything in the short roll. You're like drawing two to the ball. You're running this stuff with like Burks at point guard. Like, you know, it just, it was just none of it made sense. And then you see like this year, I mean, this, like this series, I, I forgot the stats, the specific stats, but you're watching these games three and four. Look at how many times they screened with a non big. It was hard. It was the, RJ. It was yeah. quickly, yep. quickly screening for Brunson, got great minutes, yep. but that wasn't even the biggest. Tibbs adjustment or coaching move that we're going to talk about in just a second. That's a yeah. great segue. Yeah. But um, but yeah, no, he's been a, a lot better, and and I'm not a huge fan of his. I obviously respect the fact that they play incredibly hard. But yeah, just one th- one last thing on RJ Barrett, and then we'll get to Tibbs. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if this these two games will propel RJ Barrett into some other stratosphere. I, I think there's there's still a lot of limitations there. But I will say this, and and actually Bill Simmons talked about this on his show. It was just like, I'll give the Knicks fans credit in this respect. They may have crapped all over the guy on Twitter after game one and game two, but they had every you know reason to try and build him up again in game three and game four. And that crowd was behind him mm-hmm. 100%. I think he fed off of it. I don't know what is going to happen next year or the year after. Uh, the extension scares me, but I will say this. like He came up absolutely money games three and four, and I got to give him his props. So we talked about Tibbs. We talked about the the adjustments that he's made. The biggest one that we're going to talk about is sitting Randall in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. I am shocked he did it. I am absolutely shocked. I've long said that what's going to hold this Knicks team and organization back is the bromance between Tom Thibodeau and Julius Randle. And Tibbs treating Julius Randle like he's LeBron James. And Randle has not been good in this series. How surprised were you that he actually stuck with Toppin, who he always gives a short leash to, that he actually stuck with him and rolled with what was working. Knowing that Randall's probably going to make at least third-team All-NBA this year. Yeah, I mean, I was as pleasantly surprised as you could be. Uh, I think there was a point where maybe Cleveland, I don't remember who, somebody took a timeout with about six minutes left. And when they cut to the commercial, I was just like, looked him over my friends and I was just like, yo, if, if he brings Randall back in, I'm going to be so pissed. Um, and he didn't, he let, he let Obi close out. Uh, and, and actually this is like the second time, you know, he, he did this actually with Brunson um, earlier this season, the, their last game against Miami, that was probably like their biggest regular season game of the year. But he, that unit that he had out there was like quickly heart RJ, um, I forgot who else. Yeah. I think somebody else in Hartenstein, um, Grimes, Grimes and Hartenstein, and he just let like he initially had Brunson check to the scores table, but then he like called him back, and I I just think again like when we talk about you know Tibbs coaching and when I talk about like how he's been better this year, it's it those are the those are the things like those are the things that really matter to me, and I think those are the things that he wasn't doing last year and honestly it's been something that he has been criticized for throughout his career right is like there are guys he tibbs has his guys 
Yeah. And if you're a Tibbs guy, like he will ride you until kingdom come. He's just going to play you and he will trust you over whatever the data, whatever the lineups, whatever your performances are saying. And for him to get to that place with Randall, where like, I don't think it's about, I lack faith in Randall. I think he still obviously has a lot of faith in Randall, but it was coaching the game that's happening in front of you and not coaching what you wanted to happen. And going with OB coaching to egos. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And I think it says something about probably where he, like, I don't think you can make that decision. If you're Tibbs, if you aren't supremely confident in, in, in really like your standing with the organization. And I think that is probably that's like kind of a credit to Leon Rose, but it, it also again like Tibbs is the one that makes makes the call on the sideline. So like, what if I'm going to kill him? And I did kill him a bunch last year, and to start the season, I need to give him the credit when he, he deserves it. And so like, yep. I think I think this season or not this season, but this series, he's he's coaching circles around Bickerstaff. Um, he's yes. leaning in on like what the Knicks have over Cleveland in this series is even if you're going to say Cleveland has better top end talent. I always felt like what the Knicks have in edge in is they have different combinations. They have different options. They have versatility. They have more of it. Yeah. And they're leaning on it and he's leaning on it in ways that honestly, I didn't ever expect him to. So he deserves a ton of credit for the OB thing for the, the guard guard wing guard, uh, screen and roll stuff that we're seeing. I think he like I, I was actually yesterday. He put he took quickly out uh, with about eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, which I thought in real time was a mistake. Um, not because I didn't want Hart on the floor. I just thought that quickly needed to get more burn. But um, and I don't like that Hart RJ combination. I think they're. I still think that's like it lacks a, a little pop offensively. Yeah, it does. It's a little clunky. And and so like I didn't love that. But when I went back today and rewatched it this morning, what actually happened is. Quickly, they you know they ran a pick and pick and roll with, uh, quick setting the screen for Brunson. They blitzed Brunson. He swung it to quick and quickly didn't decisively react. He, he ended up putting the ball on the floor, driving, and then Garland got a Garland fouled him. Um, but he basically took him out almost right after that because I think he was just like, I'm he doesn't gonna... have it. Well, it, not even that he doesn't have it, but it was just like when you see how much space they were giving. It's like, well, why don't I get my second best driver on the team on the floor here and let him capitalize on all this space that Cleveland's leaving against a rotating defense? And I mean, the Knicks' offense down the stretch—I don't even—they they missed a lot of open threes, but every single time down when they actually ran their offense and Brunson didn't just like go into one of his, you know, uh, hero ball Kobe modes, like they were getting great looks. They were getting great looks all fourth quarter. And this is against the best defense in the league. And you've got them scrambling all around because they just don't even know what the hell to do right now. And then like, uh, that's yeah. It says a lot about Brunson. It says a lot about the players, Hart, RJ, whatever, but Tibbs is the one that put them in those positions. And he's, yeah. and again, he's doing, he did it in ways that we're very unaccustomed to. Like if you ever want to watch, like if, if you're expecting some beautiful flowing prime golden state offense, you're from, not getting it. You're not getting it, but that doesn't mean what they're doing isn't effective. It's, it's pretty brutal. It can be ugly at times, but it, in its simplicity and kind of just like the Knicks really beat you in the most boring ways possible. Right. It's like, they don't turn the ball over. They take their shot chart is great. They basically take three shots to the rim. Only Brunson takes a lot of mid range shots. Um, and they beat the shit out of you on the offensive glass. And that's what they do. 
And like I, act- I actually think, you know, quickly is the one guy who has the ability to take more pull-ups just because yes. he's dynamic. I know he shoots the floater pretty well, but I think he can do a little bit more of that. I also think Grimes can too, mm-hmm. but you know, Grimes just doesn't get the opportunities right now. Uh, I wanted to ask you a quick thing about Randall. Um, you know, and this kind of ties into Tibbs, but I, I think, you know, yesterday was almost like a defining moment in, you know, the Tibbs era that he's kind of just not kowtowing to Randall and the gratitude that was Julius Randall of the 2021 season. Because I think Tibbs definitely owes, feels like he owes him for something, which is ridiculous. But where were you, where are you at with Randall? Because a lot of Knicks fans, you know, Knicks fans are funny because as united as we are, it seems like it's us against the world, but we also have like the infighting that's crazy. Uh, you know, whether it's about Randall, whether it's about RJ, where were you at with Randall going into the year in terms of, did you think that he could bounce back? Even when he's putting up these numbers, do you ever think that they're like really significant numbers in terms of, you know, contributing to winning? Where were you at with Randall? Um, I, I was pretty vocal at the end of the last season and all throughout the off season that I really wanted him gone. Um, I just, I, he was so miserable last season and it just, it forgetting like you can play poorly, but the way he acted throughout last season was just so demoralizing as a fan. Yes. And I think like, you know, he's, he talked about this actually, um, a few months ago, but he said that assistant coach Johnny Bryant went and visited him in the off season. And um, like, he asked him, he was like, do you feel like, like, would you want to be teammates with yourself last year? And he was like, that kind of hit home. And he's, he, he, he deserves a lot of credit for turning things around. Um, I don't, I, I think like, yeah, he, during the regular season, he was fantastic. I, I believe in what and, we oh, saw Oh, by there. the way, just before you continue, he still had his moments of tantrums. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. which were unacceptable. And it still seems like that there was some favoritism amongst, you know, certain Knicks players that, you know, Randall gets a longer leash than most, but no, to his credit. I mean, he did, he did turn around. I'm sorry. I didn't want to, didn't want to cut you off, but. Oh yeah, no, all, all good. And it, yeah. And yeah, like, uh, I think, you know, he, uh, he didn't like that. What, what kind of stood out was in 2020, 2020, 2021, he had a crazy shooting performance from mid-range and from three. I think he shot 41% from three that season. This year, he only shot 34.5% from three, but like the efficiency overall was actually better, and that's because he's just taking better shots. He's getting He finished at the rim better. He got to the rim more. He, got, he shot a lot of threes. He didn't take a lot of mid-range. That cleaned up a lot of it, and so like it felt really good. It felt sustainable, but I've always felt like his processing speed at times offensively when you put him in pressure situations is not great. And slow. I think he, it's yeah. very slow. It's very you slow. See the fourth quarter numbers and the playoff numbers back it up. Yeah. And I think the, I, that's why I was concerned about him coming into the playoffs. I, I know that he's coming off an injury and that might be part of it. And also like he did take that tumble at the end of game two. Maybe he's a little banged up from that too. But like when I watch what I'm seeing in this series, it's like, it it's not as bad as the Hawk series because that was like, I don't, I don't it can't be as bad. It can, yeah. it can't be as bad because it wasn't just that he was 
aura from the field in that series. It just, you could kind of tell he was defeated as that series went on. And yesterday was really bad. I mean, he was like non-existent. His defensive effort in the third quarter was atrocious. Um, I don't really know what that was Except about, but like, no, that, oh, was he that didn't have the, the block. second quarter. The, no, that was yeah. the third quarter. It was yeah, the that block was, on Mitchell yeah. after he got the yeah. steal. Yeah. That, Other that, than that, it was, it was rough. Yeah. He missed a, so many rotations um, in that quarter, which were part of the reason why Garland went off. But like, he, he was just so miserable, but like, you're watching this now. And I, I don't know, like, I, I guess where I'm at with it is my, I think that there's a different energy the way the team plays when it's Obi in that spot instead of yes. Randall. That doesn't mean Randall is bad and that doesn't mean that he doesn't have value. But I do think like if he can't, I, I always say this, like I don't really, you can play well even if you shoot poorly. Okay. Like quickly, I thought played well yesterday, even though he shot poorly. Plus 11. Yeah. But Randall, which isn't a perfect stat, but whatever. I think plus 11 when you don't score is pretty telling. Yeah. And I think if you just watch the game back, you see like the stuff he's doing on defense and his selflessness in terms of screening for Brunson and all those types of things, those small things you can do on the margin really can move the needle, even if you're not scoring well. And with Randall yesterday, and I thought also even in game three, but that game was so out of control, it didn't matter. I feel like I'm seeing him like he's allowing his offensive struggles to affect his effort on defense, his effort on the glass, his effort in terms of getting loose balls and stuff like that. And that concerns me because I can live with you having a bad shooting performance. I can't accept those pieces though, because those are always in your control. They're always in your control. And I I killed RJ all season for what I perceived as like bad effort through in a lot of instances. He's picked it up a lot in the playoffs, especially these last two games, obviously shot making shots helps too, but like his effort, his defensive awareness and effectiveness has been a lot better. These, these in this series, like Randall, it feels like he's going the opposite way. I mean, there was a stretch in the middle of the season when Mitchell Robinson was out where I thought Randall actually was like playing, not just great offensively, but really had stepped it up defensively and was getting a ton of contested defensive rebounds and watching him like the last month or so of the season, I didn't love what I saw. I actually thought the, Injury in a way might have been a blessing in disguise. Get him off the floor. Let him just get right mentally. I mean, we saw him that that he got hurt in that heat game that I referenced earlier. He was terrible in that game. I mean, I I I I didn't want to say it and I didn't tweet it at the time, but like when he got hurt, I almost felt like I think this could be a blessing in disguise for this game, anyways, because I didn't love how he was playing and he just looked awful and he was making bad decisions. And I I mean, he's his decision making in this series hasn't been awful. But like, it's not like he's he's playing at a super high level in terms of like he's what I think he's got eight assists to fourteen turnovers. That's not all on him. Guys have to make shots too. But fourteen turnovers in four games isn't good. No, um, he, he throws the ball all over the place when yeah. he gets into a spin move. Like you saw it in game one. You know he started out hot, and then as the game wore on and he started to press a little bit, he'd go into his iso Julius stuff. He'd go into a spin move. He'd throw the ball away, and you. It, it would just drive me crazy. And again, it doesn't matter because he came up with the big offensive rebound, which sealed the game. Um, but yeah, no, yesterday was very telling. I think yesterday was very telling. And this is only going to get magnified because of where Obi Toppin's contract is, who was drafted because they didn't really have so much faith in Julius. And now with Julius having built up his, his trade value, like eventually one of them is going to have to go. 
And I think this offseason is going to be the telling offseason. So we'll see. I'm hoping that even though Julius had, you know, two All-NBA years with them, I think that Julius needs to go. The Randall situation in the offseason will take care of itself then. The OB situation will take care of itself then. We can't worry about that right now because we have one more game to win to, again, win our first playoff series in 10 years. And a big reason for this season and for this potential playoff series win has been Jalen Brunson. Oh, I yeah. I've gone this long without actually really talking about Jalen Brunson and giving him his due. Uh, but here we are. Um, we're going to talk about the, the Nova boys right now, but first about Brunson. Yeah. I mean, Brunson has been fantastic. I, yeah. I originally recoiled at the contract. I, I didn't think he was this good to be totally honest. I was just like, you know, a guy who plays off of Luca nicely. Okay. You know, was able to spread his wings a little bit when Luca was out. Okay. But like, do I, in a salary cap sport, do I want to give that percentage of the pie to somebody who I'm not really sure can ever make an all NBA team? Well, I think uh, he's all NBA caliber right now. And, you know, he has an outside chance of making it. I don't think he's going to make it this year, but my goodness, he's so much better than I ever thought he was. Going into the season, where were you at with the Brunson signing? And obviously, where are you now when it comes to the Brunson signing? Um, when we – so, like, the reporting on draft night when they made all these moves to clear the cap space was really confusing. So, initially, I was not happy. But once the full picture kind of came into focus, I was fine with the trades. I was fine with them clearing the space for Brunson. I didn't – I think what I said – at the time, I said it was – was not it was uninspiring, but I thought the move itself was fine and like okay, I think it's okay to go get yourself a point guard in the prime of his career, basically. Um, so I was fine with that, but I, I mean, I would be lying if I said I thought he would be this good immediately. I mean, I thought you know twenty and seven stuff like that would be on the table, but the level he's played at at various points of season have been far beyond that and you know forgetting the uh on court stuff with him i i remember i forgot who it was it might have been tim mcmahon um who does a lot of reporting for espn for on the mavericks i think he said something like i don't remember if it was him or if it was tim cato one of the mavericks guys anyway said something like the biggest loss like the biggest thing about losing jalen brunson for them wasn't just what he did on the court it's how much of a leader he was in the locker room and when you watch this team, like one, it's very obvious the vibes are great around this team. And I really feel like he's a huge part of that. Like he's made it a point to gas up, you know, guys on the team. I think he's not, he's a scorer. Like his game, he, his primary, you know, what he's, the foundation of his game is, is scoring. But he's not a selfish player. And the fact that he can play on and off ball so effectively really makes him such a versatile piece. And like, I know that sounds kind of basic, but like, go watch the Hawks. Try and tell me Trey Young can play off ball. You know, like it's not easy. Yeah, yeah, they can't. There's there's not a lot of guards that do as well as Brunson can operating in both those roles. I mean, like Steph is obviously the all time great in that in terms of that, but like Brunson is really really good. And um, yeah, I, I just think that signing, I was fine with it. The contract, I wasn't that worried about. I thought he proved himself in the playoffs last year. 
Uh, I think last year he had averaged something like he played like 20 something games without Luca. I think in those games he had averaged like 22, seven and six or something like that or four. And, you know, he, his shooting splits had stayed the same. Um, I, I was fine with the signing and yeah, I mean, I think when you watch how he's played, like I would be lying if I said, you know, I think he won't make one, but I think it's actually reasonable if he did get voted in as an all NBA level guard this year, I think he's been really that good, but like he, he's not going to make it. But like the fact that he's that, I think it's not that outrageous. And I actually think it's totally reasonable if somebody voted him for all NBA, I imagine he will get a few all NBA votes. I mean, that that's not something I expected to say. So I, I would be lying if I told you, I thought that was on the table, but I, I did think like all-star in the East when you kind of like thought about it, I was like, that's well, he and he should have made it this year over Julius. I know it was a guard forward thing that really contributed to it. And at the time, the Knicks record, you know, they didn't have a good enough record to justify two guys. But like he should have made it this year. Yeah, I mean, I I think like I was fine with Julius making it. I thought he like the best way to put it is I think at least in the regular season, there were a lot of nights where Julius was the best player on the floor for the first 42 minutes of the game. But then you get into that last six minutes and it's like, okay, I need you to just give the ball to Brunson and get the hell out of the way. Um, and like Brunson, you know, whether he's the best player or second, whatever, it doesn't really matter to me. He is the guy that I want to have the ball at the end of a game. He's the guy I trust. He's the dude that I want to put the ball, like put my faith in. I mean, that game to kind of clinch uh, the the five seed or effectively or clinch a playoff spot for the Knicks where they went into Cleveland at the end of the year and beat them. I mean, he went shot for shot with Donovan Mitchell. He outplayed Mitchell that night. I think Mitchell had like 40 points. Brunson had 48. And obviously Randall didn't play. Allen didn't play that game, whatever. But like when you see a guy do stuff like that, like go into Cleveland, you could tell the Cavs were pretty jacked up for that game. You could tell Mitchell was definitely jacked up for that game. You take a guy's best shot, stand on your feet, counter, and just actually outplay him down the stretch of a game that says everything I need to know about Don or about Jalen Brunson. Like the guy is, he he is, he is better than he gets credit for even now. Yep. And I think that the Knicks have historically not had a lot of success in free agency. No, he is, he is their best free agent signing. I, I said this actually before the season. Since Allen Houston in 96 yeah. easily. Yeah, I said that before the, before the uh, season started, I was like, one of uh, that was my prediction. I was like, "Yep, I think Brunson will effectively be the best free agent signing we've made since then." And in uh, hold on one second, in fairness to Amari Stoudemire, in fairness, in fairness, before his knees went to crap, and again, that's probably one of the reasons they were able to get him because Phoenix knew that his knees yeah. were going to go to crap. But like before the mellow trade and all that went down, like Amari was having in you know a first team All NBA type season in a league with Duncan Garnett and Dirk right so like he had a stretch but yeah no Brunson has a chance to be the next the Knicks best free agent signing since Allen Houston yeah I mean I think he I I just say he already is because as good as Amari was we all knew that was a ticking time bomb with his knees but um yeah Brunson's he's been awesome and um you know it's not just that they got Brunson right they also got Hardenstein Hardenstein's been great like I, I actually I before the season started one of my one thing I felt pretty strongly about was like outside of teams that have a true star center. So, you know, take out like the nuggets, take out the Sixers. I thought the Knicks had the best center rotation in the league. 
you know, aside from these teams that have, again, star centers. And mm-hmm. so far in this playoff series, at least, like from what we've seen, it's not like, I mean, it's at least on the table. I mean, you see what Mitchell Robinson is giving you. You see what Isaiah Hartenstein is giving you. And you see how they're stifling the Cavs, who I think they were like, what a top, I think they were the seventh best offense in the NBA by offensive rating. Um, the Cavs net rating, they were top five during yeah. the season. Yeah, they were second, I believe, in the league. And then they had the best defense. Like, you see what, how effective the team's defense is. And obviously, it's not just those two guys. But to have that level of room protection behind you, um, it it helps these perimeter defenders a lot. And those guys have been fantastic. So, yeah, like Brunson was a great free agent signing. But I think sometimes we also lose that uh, part of the uh, part of clearing the cap space also allowed us to sign Isaiah Arnstein. And he's been great for us. The Brunson thing, there's an offensive sophistication just in terms of his moves. Like, he's so polished offensively. He has all these different types of moves. You know, the different, like, the the foot fakes that he makes, like, while he's dribbling that aren't travels. It's just the change of direction. It's it's so beyond what I thought he had. His personality. He's a calming influence. He's just been delightful. Now, if I had two critiques, two critiques is one... I think he does get a little shot heavy and tunnel vision sometimes. Like when you're playing point, and I know the league is shifted away from like the Steve Nash types and the Jason Kidd types, but sometimes you need to know I can get my own when I need to. Right now is not that time. Right now is when I need to spread the ball around a little bit. And I thought highlighted i know shot 50 percent from the field basically at 30 points yesterday but you know in the third quarter when darius garland's carving him up on one end and he comes down and shoots three straight times it's like your guy just scored on you three straight times right there's an unwritten rule of basketball that you don't then get to shoot three straight times right if you're getting scored on unless you're scoring each time and he, i think he went one for three in those possessions but it's little stuff like that that sometimes he gets a little tunnel visioned i actually thought his tunnel vision was okay in game two because no one else had a clue of what they were doing and he didn't have a great game either and they just got waxed but it's <laughs> it's sometimes I, I think he needs to just know that he can get his when he needs to and sometimes just spread it around a little bit and i think defensively like it's tough man that early in that third quarter that was tough but luckily for him like you know quickly came in and and cleaned up a lot of mess you know hartenstein and and uh and mitch have cleaned up a lot of mess you know grimes is able to you know pick him up pick him up on that end when he's in McBride, even RJ Barrett sometimes in the right matchup can, can do it. But I mean, he's been incredible. He's been absolutely incredible for them. And like, I can't believe I'm saying it, but like how many point guards, if you were drafting a team right now from scratch right now, would you take before Jalen Brunson? I mean, Curry, Lillard, De'Aaron Fox, John Morant, I would still take Darius Garland barely, but that's a toss-up. Like, that's not definitive. I'm not sure what we're going to call Luka, but the point is, like, in a league with a lot of good point guards, he's really, really good. He's really, really good, and going into the end of games, considering he doesn't turn the ball over, I generally have 
a great feeling about him closing out a game, which is shocking. A shocking feeling as a Nick fan. Yeah, I mean, Brunson, his end-of-game stuff has been... I don't even know what to say. He's been fantastic. I think he was, what, third or fourth in the NBA in clutch scoring or crunch time scoring, whatever that set is. And uh, and points per isolation, yeah. he's at, like, the top in terms of efficiency. He's top five in the league. Yeah, and I, I, it was kind of funny. Like, um, I forgot who it was. I, before the series started, we had uh, John Schmelk on our pod, and we were talking about, you know, best player in the series type of thing. And one, you know, I was like, I think, I think Brunson could, like, I think he's every has a chance every to be every bit as good as Mitchell was. He preferred Mitchell, which is fine. But uh, we we were kind of talking about like, do the Knicks have, you know, can Brunson be your best offensive player type of thing? And you know, there's no way to know until you see it. And one, you know, four games doesn't mean that 100. Yeah, he can be your best offensive player. But yeah, like you're talking about those ISO numbers when you can score like that in ISOs, and he's done it against a variety of different defenders and different schemes like that you're facing up against. It might be like he, he might be able to, I'm not like the bar again is very high for stuff like that, but you know, can he be your best player? I don't think so. Can he be your best offensive player? Maybe, maybe who knows? I I mean, this team is punching well above its, I I, I would say they're punching well above their perceived weight right now. Um, If I would say they're punching above their weight, but there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and I I think like I still think that people are really not appropriately judging the talent on this Knicks team. I mean, the conversation before this series was always like, oh, the Knicks have depth, but Cavs have all this top end talent, and like I I just don't think that there's a great appreciation. Like, look, I, I don't really care what I, I'm not that distraught over it, but I thought it was a joke that quickly didn't get six man of the year over Brogdon, and it seemed to be because he started games. Somehow that's like you know, a big problem now. Um, I, I think Mitchell Robinson is underrated. I think Isaiah Harnstein is underrated. I think Josh Hart's been a great addition to the team. I don't think, like, I know Grimes has been hurt and he was not shooting well, but I think Grimes is not properly appreciated around the league because, like you kind of meant, you touched on this earlier, but he's probably got a little bit more upside as a terms of a shot creator than we've seen so far, but he's playing a role and he's been willing to play a role and he doesn't yeah. go outside of his boundaries. I was going to say, I'm not sure the Knicks necessarily appreciate just what they have in Quentin Grimes yet, but you'll take care of that. Those are future problems. Right right, now is the here and the now, and we got to talk about him now. Brunson's running mate, his his best buddy, Josh Hart. I mean, where are you at in terms of your love affair with Josh Hart? Because right now, for me, I'm at an all-time high. Like, the romance, it's hot and heavy. I, I just I can't get enough of the guy. Um, yeah, I, I love Josh Hart. I think he's great. I uh, I I did I was getting very annoyed with him yesterday at the end of the first half, but um, his heart is always in the right place. No pun intended. Uh, he 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 just the guy just makes winning plays. I know that's like a real big cliche, but you see these offensive rebounds he comes up with in the fourth quarter. I mean, he makes that three in game one where it, the play is going nowhere. It's it's a disastrous play. And the Cavs were just on a 9-0 run to take yeah. the lead. Yeah, and he just he makes that shot. And, like, you know, he just finds ways to contribute. And, like, it's not just – that's kind of my biggest takeaway from various guys on this team. Like, the, the, the glue guys on this team, Hart, Quickly, Grimes, Hartenstein, even Obi, like, these guys just find ways – to contribute to help your team win ball games. We talked about Deuce, right? He comes in for five minutes. 
And like, I honestly thought that five minutes, I really felt like whatever he did in those five minutes really took Mitchell out of his comfort zone. And he yeah. looked, he looked really just out of it, not out of it, but like he was not comfortable the rest of the way. And it kind of inf- impacted the rest of his game. Um, but like, yeah, Hart is, I mean, the guys, he also brings a vocal, like the Knicks have the, even before they got Hart, I mean, I thought they were trending in the right direction. They had really turned things around since the rotation changes. Um, but like they, they, you still felt like maybe they could use somebody that brings an edge. A foxhole guy. Yeah. And, and Hart, like, and that's not to say like, you know, these guys, like, you know, Quickly's tough. Hartenstein's tough. These guys are tough. It's not that. No, but there's, there's a different level of toughness. Yeah. I understand what you're yeah. talking about. And plus, there's an Hart, edge. Hart, yeah, he has an edge, and Hart's been in the league a little bit longer than Quickly. Yeah. He has a yeah. little bit more gravitas. Yeah, he has more. And I, I, I like that, you know, obviously, Josh Hart's not like a superstar player or anything, but he seems to command respect around the league. Like, uh, you, guys around the league seem to really respect him. I think it's always good to have dudes like that. I think people know that he's not somebody that you try to push their buttons. Like he, he's not that type of guy. Um, I like that he he plays really hard. He plays really physical. Doesn't play dirty. Um, I like that about him. I, I like all of all of these things he brings to the table. I mean, you know, we the Knicks rebounding is probably their, one of their biggest strengths as a team. He just adds to that on both ends of the floor. The guy is a monster rebounder. Yeah, uh, the offensive rebound that sealed the game, kicked it two. out. To yeah, he had two for three. Yeah, yeah that was that two. ended the and, game. Yeah, and and his like he juices the offense in so many ways. I I, I forgot what the article was, what the exact stuff was, but if you look at Obi Toppin's um production before and after Josh Hart, like he activates the team because he gets them running. He gets and and, and that benefits a guy like Obi probably more than anybody else in the roster. So you see and like you just see how he connects different pieces of the team and like they have a lot of guys like that that just connect different pieces of the team. So just always getting one more is massive. And like the thing with him, it's always so funny when I see his measurements because it's like he's six four and a half. Uh, you know, his wingspan is like six nine, six ten, or something. It's it's a good wingspan, but it's not some elite wingspan. And he's obviously not got elite size for a wing. But if you didn't know any of that and you just watched him play, he plays like he's six eight, like he's six nine, like he said he plays so much bigger than his size. And like, yeah, because what's in his chest? Yeah, yeah, and and then you see like you know when we've played Boston, you know Boston is a tough matchup for a lot of teams, not just the Knicks, because they have these two wing scorers, right? Like Jason Tatum is a tough cover for the Knicks because he's six nine, six ten, and really the yeah. only guy that can kind of bother his shot is Randall, but that's asking a lot of Randall. When we played them the last time, that was the only time or last two times we had Josh Hart. We had played them twice before that without him. Um, but you could see the difference. Like he gets into Tatum and he's takes away his airspace and he gets his, he kind of takes his legs out from under him in a way. I mean, that's something that Marcus Smart does a really good job of. And that's why he's able to defend bigger guys. Like Josh Hart brings a similar toughness and a similar ability there. And, um, you know, he's, he's not the greatest point of attack defender. He's not particularly great at fighting over screens, but what he does do is he fights. He's never going to quit on a play. And when you have a lot of like, you know, you see some of the rotations that quickly was making, that McBride was making, that Hartenstein makes, that Hart makes. Like the Knicks now have like a bunch of these dudes, Grimes, who didn't even play yesterday, but they have a bunch of dudes who will never quit and they will and they'll cut and they can cover up for the fact that Brunson is a minus defender, that Julius, you know, spaces out on defense a lot of the time. When you have guys that can make up for that stuff, it's a huge advantage. And um, you know, this team, like in a lot of ways, I I I've 
we we talked about this a few months ago, but like we'll see how many of these guys are able to keep long term. But it would not surprise me if you look back on this team like three or four years from now and you know, quickly is a twenty million million dollar plus a year player. Grimes is a twenty million dollar a year plus player. Hart is getting money like that. Hartenstein, like they have a lot of guys that are probably. I mean, obviously, rookie contract guys are always going to be undervalued if they hit. But like Hartenstein is worth more than his contract. Josh Hart is worth more than the current contract he's on. He's going to get it. Um, and like when you go to up and down the roster, you see a lot of these dudes, and it, it'll be interesting to see. Like the team that all, all ended up like that in a lot of ways was um was Toronto when they won the championship. Like you had or you had a. Siaka before he got really got paid and burst onto the scene. You had uh, Fred Van Vliet before he got paid. You had OG Ananobi before he got paid. Like they had a bunch of dudes that hadn't been paid yet. And so you have all this depth on your team. And it's like, you know, OG didn't even play in that run. And they still, obviously, you have Kawhi that helps. But like, that's kind of where I'm at with the Knicks. I was going like, to say that that yeah. was a major ingredient. Yeah. yeah. But like, it, but like, that's kind of where I'm at with the Knicks where I'm like, right. Are they a championship contender? I don't think so. Um, but like, if you can find that that Kawhi move, that guy who is like best player in a title team worthy without sacrificing your depth. I mean, I think you're in a very similar position to that Raptors team. And that's a lot better than I think most people anticipated the Knicks would be this year. And the connection with Brunson, they played in college. They won together in college. It just makes you dreaming as a Knicks fan. If they could ever somehow get the trio and bring Mikael Bridges in <laughs> somehow. Like, that would just be – it would just be perfect. Run the Nova thing and just let's ride. So I guess you weren't part of – one last thing on Josh Hart because, you know, a lot – again, Knicks fans and Knicks Twitter d- does a lot of yapping sometimes. And one of the things was was the Cam Reddish hive. Were you part oh. of the Cam Reddish hive that – just like, you know, we gave up a, a, a first-round pick for Cam Reddish. Guy was, you know, a top high school recruit, you know, top 10 pick. We took a chance on him. Like, why isn't Tibbs playing him? Like, we sold low on Cam Reddish and another pick to get Josh Hart. Are you just like, enough with this? Like, let's bring in players who can play. Yeah, um, I I actually didn't I, – I didn't mind the trade for Josh Hart – or not Josh Hart, uh, for Cam Reddish at all. I thought, yeah, you take a flyer, yeah, fine, if, big freaking deal. But like, if it's not working, like we right. should be doing things around Cam Reddish. Yeah, and and I thought, you know, um, when the Knicks make the so basically, the start of the season was kind of a mess. Um, but before their game on December fourth, funny enough, uh, against the Cleveland Cavaliers, um, they basically took Cam out of the rotation along with Derrick Rose and Evan Fournier, Grimes, who was in the starting lineup. And Deuce got promoted into the rotation until they got Josh Hart. And at the time, I was like, I would have liked to see Cam stick in the rotation for a little bit longer over Deuce, having come off the bench next to, you know, Quick and Obi and Hartenstein. But I was fine with them not going that way and giving Deuce that shot instead of Cam because what the Knicks struggled with at the start of the season, the, the two things they struggled with the most were point of attack defense and defensive rebounding. And those are things that Cam Reddish is, quite frankly, bad at. And that's maybe an understatement. His rebounding, for a guy his size, 6'8", six, 6'9", six, six, with a 7-plus wingspan, to be such a poor defensive rebounder yeah. is a joke. I mean, that's like you want to know the difference between Josh Hart and Cam Reddish? That's it right there. 
One yeah. guy is going to get you every margin play. He's going to win everything for you on the margins. The other guy just wants to be Paul George with like 50% of the talent, maybe. Yeah, like, which is why I never understood the Knicks fans who were crying over the Cam Reddish thing. Two two last things. One, mm-hmm. um, what's the one thing – your biggest concern going forward with the Knicks right now? Obviously, we're feeling great. We're in a great spot. But your biggest concern? Uh, probably – Julius, like I really have not, I mean, obviously I have not enjoyed what I've seen of him in the postseason so far. Um, and then you contrast that with like, you know, Randall is this regular season juggernaut who now this is a second playoff run where he's really fell off in the playoffs. Yeah. That's that's concerning. And then you contrast that with somebody like Obi, who's, you know, been very limited in the minutes he gets throughout his career but this is the second time that Obi's been in the playoffs and he stand, like he elevates his game. And yeah, I think the matchup is good for him because Mobley can't punish him physically in a way that other fours can like Giannis uh, would definitely punish Obi. But like, I don't know. Again, I just feel like there's something there to consider, um, but that's a really tough decision for them to make. And I don't think it's one that you can rush into. And to their credit, like if you didn't trade Randall last year in some in in some ways to to allow him to rehab his value. They've successfully done that part of it. His value is definitely better now than it was yeah, last year. If they wanted to trade him, they wouldn't have to attach a pick. They probably get value season. for him. Yeah, they may be, but yeah. my my biggest concern is is quickly. Quickly and Grimes. You have to start making shots. Grimes looks like he's rushing when he's healthy every time he touches it. Everything looks rushed. Right. He seems, you know, very unsure about himself and everything seems rushed. And, you know, quickly was such an offensive dynamo for them during the regular season in so many spots. You know, it's been it's been a brutal stretch shooting, but I'm going to need him to start making shots, you know, even to close out this series. I'm just not sure how much more we can do with those two guys not making anything from the perimeter. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I think those are fair immediate concerns to have Um, where I always come down on that is like, for me, I think both quickly and Grimes they're like quickly is actually on the scouting report. Now that wasn't the case this first time in the playoffs. I think this is a different experience for him. And he's, this is like a good lump for him to take potentially. And I trust and believe that he will get better from it down the line. Um, same with Grimes. Like these are guys who have proven through their careers to be able to take lumps and then come back from it and improve their game. So like that is an immediate concern and that's for sure fair. Um, it's just not one to me that I'm that worried about uh, because again, like I, honestly, this season is already to me gravy. Like this is already successful. Yeah, season. but right now, like we're in it now. At no, this we point, are. Of course, we're in of course. it, and, and we got a you know. Yeah, no, of course. You want you want to try it and get as far as you can. It's just like if they, you know, if they make it the next round, they get smacked by the Bucks, or they, you know, whatever happens, like won't, won't be mad about it. Yeah, and I just think like if I told you before the season, oh, the Knicks, like hopefully this doesn't happen. If they like lose in seven games to the Cavs, but like if I told you before the season, the Knicks are going to win the five, they're going to get an automatic playoff berth, finishes the five seed, have forty seven wins, and. Quickly, I, th- Grimes. I bet their season under for win total. Yeah. So I'm, I've been blown yeah. away already. So yeah, if I and I, if I told you all, you know, 
quickly and Grimes are going to take massive steps forward. Grimes is going to become a permanent starter. Jalen Brunson is going to be fantastic on and on and on. If I told you that you'd have been like, that's a great season. So I, I definitely have immediate concerns. I mean, more immediate concern to me than Brunson and quickly, because the thing are not Brunson quickly, quickly and Grimes, because those guys can miss shots and they can take backseat roles offensively and still bring you value because of what they do on defense, because of how they play. I'm much more concerned about Randall because yeah. Randall looks like he's, I'm like very worried that he's going into, like we've seen him spiral before. I'm worried that that's happening again. Hopefully, I mean, not that this is good, but like hopefully it's more of an injury thing than a mental thing. We know, I mean, he's talked about how he really put in time to, to work on his mental, yeah. you know, the mental side of things. So, Hopefully it's not that, but it, it, I mean, that game yesterday, it really looked a lot like some of the stuff we had seen last year and in that Hawk series. So um, that's, that's really my big immediate concern. Honestly, everything else, I'm just like, I'm happy with basically everybody else in the team right now. So right. I'm good. <laughs> and I'm not going to make a, a big deal about him not talking to the media after he was benched in the fourth quarter, but whatever. We'll we'll see how that situation plays itself out with Randall. All right, last question. We'll let you go on this, and this was awesome. Game four uh, – excuse me, game five is Wednesday night recording Monday afternoon. How do you think this series finishes out? Five, six, seven, or do the Knicks lose in seven? I think the Knicks win in six. Um, what I said before the series was – it's kind of funny because I don't even know how I feel about this now. I said if Randall wasn't healthy, the Knicks would lose in six. I think if Randall is healthy, they win in six. Randall, I think, is healthy. I, I don't totally buy the like, you know, he's so injured that he's playing through. First of all, if he's that injured, maybe just, he shouldn't play then because he's not helping us. But second, like, he's not even playing well. And I still think the Knicks win in six. So I got to the right conclusion, but for all the wrong reasons. All the wrong reasons. Well, <laughs> I, uh, it's funny how that works sometimes. I think the Knicks are going to win in six. Uh, I don't think they're going to win Wednesday night. I think they're going to win in six. Um, I thought they were going to lose in seven, but I'm happy to be wrong about this. Ash, this was great, man. This was awesome. Welcome to the Believe family. Uh, tell everybody before we go, we sign off, where they can find your stuff. And, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Schwinnipoo. Um I also host a pod. It's called Pod Strickland. Um, check that out. The website is thestrick.land. We uh, have all kinds of new content. Um, yeah, uh, just give us a follow on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. If you are so inclined, please give us a follow on YouTube. That would be a huge help. Um, but yeah, man, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it and uh, hope to do it again soon. Well, we're going to have to do a home and home because <laughs> uh, I want to be a guest on yours, you know, home and home. That's how yeah. we do it around here. Welcome to the squad and uh, we'll speak soon. Thanks so much. And uh, Nick's tape, you know the vibes. Let's go. Yeah, let's do it. Time. Speak to you. Thanks again to Schwinn for coming on. Mr. Schwinny Poo on Twitter. You can find him there, the Pod Strickland Podcast. Welcome to the Believe family. Good to talk to him. First time talking to him about the Knicks. I hope to do that again with him sometime soon. This Knicks thing is awesome. I'm having a great time. 
Let's go Knicks. Let's go Rangers. The vibes are high. Episode 206. For the love of the game, take us out, Ja Rule and fam. Wise is awoken, and you know they say that you deserved it. Whenever you die with your eyes open, I still hold a title. Cause I'm in the hood like them low motorcycles. Stick up kids hopping out with the old rifles. Yeah. Just doing, doing for nothing. It's so spiteful. Ha, I'm just like you. The word that wanna murk you was in the air. Uh. A double shot of yak and the purple is in the air. Uh. And I'm not cocky, I'm confident. So when you tell me I'm the best, it's a compliment. I got a hundred guns, a hundred clips. Now I'm from New York, New York. And you can tell the way the homies spit. Then I'm from New York, New York. I got a hundred guns, a hundred clips. I'm from New York, New York. I got a semi-automatic that spits next time if you talk. Hey. And this is how we do. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.